Chapter Fourteen of the Case of Jenny Brace. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Case of Jenny Brace by Mary Roberts Reinhardt. Chapter Fourteen. The next day was the sensational one of the trial. We went through every phase of conviction. Jenny Bryce was living. Jenny Bryce was dead. The body found at Sue Weekly could not be Jenny Bryce's. The body found at Sue Weekly was Jenny Bryce's. And so it went on. The defense did an unexpected thing in putting Mr. Lavely on the stand. That day, for the first time, he showed the wear and tear of the ordeal. He had no flower in his buttonhole, and the rims of his eyes were red. But he was quite cool. His stage training had taught him not only to endure the eyes of the crowd, but to find in its gaze a sort of stimulant. He made a good witness, I must admit. He replied to the usual questions easily. After five minutes or so, Mr. Llewellyn got down to work. Mr. Ladley, you have said that your wife was ill the night of March 4th? Yes. What was the nature of her illness? She had a functional heart trouble. Not serious. Will you tell us fully the events of that night? I had been asleep when my wife wakened me. She asked for a medicine she used in these attacks. I got up and found a bottle, but it was empty. As she was nervous and frightened, I agreed to try to get some at a drugstore. I went downstairs, took Mrs. Pittman's boat, and went to several stores before I could awaken a pharmacist. You cut the boat loose? Yes. It was tied in a woman's knot, or a series of knots. I could not untie it, and I was in a hurry. How did you cut it? With my pocket knife. You did not use Mrs. Pittman's bread knife? I did not. And in cutting it, you cut your wrist, did you? Yes, the knife slipped. I have the scar still. What did you do then? I went back to the room and stanched the blood with a towel. From whom did you get the medicine? From Alexander's pharmacy. At what time? I am not certain. About three o'clock, probably. You went directly back home? Mr. Ladley hesitated. No, he said finally. My wife had had these attacks, but they were not serious. I was curious to see how the riverfront looked and rode out too far. I was caught in the current and nearly carried away. You came home after that? Yes, at once. Mrs. Ladley was better and had dropped asleep. She wakened as I came in. She was disagreeable about the length of time I had been gone and would not let me explain. We quarreled, and she said she was going to leave me. I said that as she had threatened this before, and had never done it, I would see that she really started. At daylight, I rode her to Federal Street. What had she with her? A small brown valise. How was she dressed? In a black and white dress and hat, with a long black coat. What was the last you saw of her? 
she was going across the Sixth Street Bridge. Alone? No, she went with a young man we knew. There was a stir in the courtroom at this. Who was the young man? A Mr. Howell, a reporter on a newspaper here. Have you seen Mr. Howell since your arrest? No, sir. He has been out of the city. I was so excited by this time that I could hardly hear. I missed some of the cross-examination. The district attorney pulled Mr. Ladley's testimony to pieces. You cut the boat's painter with your pocket knife. I did. Then how do you account for Mrs. Pittman's broken knife with the blade in your room? I have no theory about it. She may have broken it herself. She had used it the day before to lift tacks out of a carpet. That was true, I had. That early Monday morning was cold, was it not? Yes, very. Why did your wife leave without her fur coat? I did not know she had until we had left the house. Then I did not ask her. She would not speak to me. I see. But is it not true that, upon a wet fur coat being shown you as your wife's, you said it could not be hers, as she had taken hers with her? I do not recall such a statement. You recall a coat being shown you? Yes. Mrs. Pittman brought a coat to my door, but I was working on the play I am writing, and I do not remember what I said. The coat was ruined. I did not want it. I probably said the first thing I thought of, to get rid of the woman. I got up at that. I'd held my piece about the bread knife, but this was too much. However, the moment I started to speak, somebody pushed me back into my chair and told me to be quiet. Now, you say you were in such a hurry to get this medicine for your wife that you cut the rope, thus cutting your wrist. Yes, I have the scar still. You could not wait to untie the boat, and yet you went along the river front to see how high the water was? Her alarm had excited me, but when I got out and remembered that the doctors had told us she would never die in an attack, I grew more composed. You got the medicine first, you say? Yes. Mr. Alexander has testified that you got the medicine at 3.30. It has been shown that you left the house at two, and got back about four. Does not this show that with all your alarm you went to the riverfront first? I was gone from two to four, he replied calmly. Mr. Alexander must be wrong about the time I wakened him. I got the medicine first. When your wife left you at the bridge, did she say where she was going? No. You claim that this woman at Horner was your wife? I think it likely. Was there an onyx clock in the second-story room when you moved into it? I do not recall the clock. Your wife did not take an onyx clock away with her? Mr. Ladley smiled. No. The defense called Mr. Howell next. He looked rested and the happier for having seen Lida but he was still pale and showed the strain of some hidden anxiety. What that anxiety was, 
the next two days were to tell us all. "'Mr. Howell,' Mr. Llewellyn asked, "'you know the prisoner?' "'Slightly.' "'State when you met him.' "'On Sunday morning, March the 4th, I went to see him.' Will you tell us the nature of that visit? My paper had heard he was writing a play for himself. I was to get an interview, with photographs, if possible. You saw his wife at that time? Yes. When did you see her again? The following morning at six o'clock, or a little later. I walked across the Sixth Street Bridge with her, and put her on a train for Horner, Pennsylvania. You are positive it was Jenny Bryce? Yes, I watched her get out of the boat while her husband steadied it. If you knew this, why did you not come forward sooner? I have been out of the city. But you knew the prisoner had been arrested, and that this testimony of yours would be invaluable to him. Yes, but I thought it necessary to produce Jenny Bryce herself. My unsupported word... You have been searching for Jenny Bryce? Yes, since March the 8th. How was she dressed when you saw her last? She wore a red and black hat and a black coat. She carried a small brown valise. Thank you. The cross-examination did not shake his testimony, but it brought out some curious things. Mr. Howe refused to say how he happened to be at the end of the Sixth Street Bridge at that hour, or why he had thought it necessary, on meeting a woman he claimed to have known only twenty-four hours, to go with her to the railway station and put her on a train. The jury was visibly impressed and much shaken, for Mr. Halwell carried conviction in every word he said. He looked the district attorney in the eye, and once, when our glances crossed, he even smiled at me faintly. But I saw why he had tried to find Jenny Price, and had dreaded testifying. Not a woman in that courtroom, and hardly a man, but believed, when he left the stand, that he was, or had been, Jenny Bryce's lover, and as such was assisting her to leave her husband. "'Then you believe,' the district attorney said at the end, "'you believe, Mr. Howell, that Jenny Bryce is living?' "'Jenny Bryce was living on Monday morning, March the 5th,' he said firmly. Miss Schaefer has testified that on Wednesday this woman, who you claim was Jenny Bryce, sent a letter to you from Horner. Is that the case? Yes. The letter was signed Jenny Bryce? It was signed J.B. Will you show the court that letter? I destroyed it. It was a personal letter? It merely said she had arrived safely, and not to let anyone know where she was. And yet you destroyed it. A postscript said to do so. Why? I do not know. An extra precaution, probably. You were under the impression that she was going to stay there. She was to have remained for a week. And you have been searching for this woman for two months? He quailed, but his voice was steady. Yes, he admitted. He was telling the truth, 
even if it was not all the truth. I believe, had it gone to the jury then, Mr. Ladley would have been acquitted. But late that afternoon, things took a new turn. Counsel for the prosecution stated to the court that he had a new and important witness, and got permission to introduce this further evidence. The witness was at Dr. Littlefield, and proved to be my one-night tenant of the second-story front. Holcomb's prisoner of the night before took the stand. The doctor was less impressive in full daylight. He was a trifle shiny, a bit bulbous as to nose, and indifferent as to fingernails. But his testimony was given with due professional weight. "'You are a doctor of medicine, Dr. Littlefield?' asked the district attorney. "'Yes.' "'Inactive practice?' "'I have a cure for inebriates in Des Moines, Iowa. "'I was formerly in general practice in New York City.' "'You knew Jenny Ladley?' "'I had seen her at different theaters, "'and she consulted me professionally at one time in New York. "'You operated on her, I believe?' "'Yes. "'She came to me to have a name removed. "'It had been tattooed over her heart.' "'You removed it?' "'Not at once. "'I tried failing the marks with goat's milk, "'but she was impatient. "'On the third visit to my office, "'she demanded that the name be cut out.' "'You did it?' "'Yes. "'She refused a general anesthetic, "'and I used cocaine. "'The name was John, "'I believe a former husband. "'She intended to marry again.' A titter ran over the courtroom. People strained to the utmost are always glad of an excuse to smile. The laughter of the wrought-up crowd always seems to me half hysterical. "'Have you seen photographs of the scar on the body found at Sewickley, or the body itself?' "'No, I have not. Will you describe the operation?' "'I made a transverse incision for the body of the name,' and two vertical ones, one longer for the J, the other shorter for the stem of the H. There was a dot after the name. I made a half-inch incision for it. Will you sketch the cicatrix as you recall it? The doctor made a careful drawing on a pad that was passed to him. The drawing was much like this. Line for line, dot for dot. It was the scar on the body found at Sewickley. You are sure the woman was Jenny Bryce? She sent me tickets for the theater shortly after, and I had an announcement of her marriage to the prisoner some weeks later. Were there any witnesses to the operation? My assistant. I can produce him at any time. That was not all of the trial but it was a decisive moment. Shortly after, the jury withdrew, and for twenty-four hours not a word was heard from them. End of chapter 14